0: Colossians 3.11, if you turn in your New Testaments there, we'll see if the Lord can answer that question through the text this morning, Colossians 3.11, and here is the Word of God. Here, here, the church, there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and all in all." When I was in the fourth grade, we uh, in our little school, we were going on a field trip, which was a long field trip uh, for us. It was from Quincy, Florida, where I'm from, to Pensacola, that's, uh, that's one of the big cities in the panhandle of Florida. And that's about a two and a half hour trip. And you know, we're all getting together uh, as as students, preparing for the trip, and and I had gotten to know this young man, his name was Timothy. He was new to the school, he was a preacher's kid, and we had decided we were going to sit on, on the bus next to each other, you know, it's regular school bus. Now, if you remember, that's a big deal. Who you're gonna sit with on the bus, you're going on a long trip. And so uh, I got there early and and went and found the seat that I wanted to, to sit in and was saving a seat for Timothy. Everything was going well, and then something unforeseen happened. The most popular guy in the class bounded up onto the school bus, looked around, kind of moved in my direction and announced to me, I'm going to sit next to you if you don't mind. Now, I was conflicted in my heart because I had told Timothy, We are going to uh, sit together, but man, this guy, all the girls liked him. He was popular, and I could see if he sat next to me, I could see my popularity rising mile by mile all the way to Pensacola. And uh, it was a big moment for me. Would I sell out my friend, or, or would I try to enhance my own popularity? I'm sure you can see where this is going. Against everything my parents taught me. I said, sure, you can sit down. And then all his popular friends filed in before me and and after me. And there I was in the midst of all these popular people. And Timothy was running late. But of course, his friend Joseph Wheat was saving a seat for him. So it didn't matter, did it? Timothy came up on the bus. He walks on. I see him. And he's kind of an awkward person, truly. And, he, and he's prone to emotional outbursts and, can, and actually had embarrassed me a few times before this, this particular incident. Uh, I immediately saw a very troubled and confused look on his face. And he marched down the aisle and he said out loud in front of everybody, I thought we were going to sit together. I thought you were going to, did you save me a seat? I just wanted to disappear. I mean, waves of guilt were coming over me. This was my last chance for redemption. I looked at Timothy. I looked at the popular people and I said, I changed my mind. He said out loud in front of everybody, You changed your mind? It was a scene. He marched to the back of the bus. He sat down and looked at the wall. And then when I turned away, everybody's looking. I heard a loud voice on the back say, I can't believe it! (laughs) And all the way to Pensacola, I'd sneak a look back in the back of the bus, and, and there he was with his furrowed brow, a blank stare of a broken and disillusioned man. Because he was excluded. Because he had been pushed aside. And I was the one that excluded him. You know, you talk to any psychologist, they will tell you that studies show that one of the top five most painful things that can happen to a human being is to be excluded, to be pushed out of a circle that one feels that, that one should, should be in. And, and why, do I, why do I tell you this little story of my fourth grade stupidity? Well, have you ever been excluded? And you know how painful it is. And I think maybe the better question is, are you the person excluding others? Because that's where I want to go with this text. That's where Paul goes. Are you an includer or are you an excluder when it comes to other people, when it comes to God's grace, when it comes to God's church? Well, let me tell you, that's not cool on a school bus. That's not cool in the workplace. That's not cool in your family. That's not cool in your sports team to exclude people. It's not cool, cool anywhere. And Paul is saying that it sure is not cool in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it should not happen. And when it happens, there needs to be immediate repentance and making amends and reestablishment of love and acceptance, because the church is different than the world. We have this thing called grace that we've been given by the Father through Jesus' death on the cross. It is that same thing that we, who are so grateful to Him, are able to give one another. And Paul is addressing issues, basically saying, if you're in Christ, if we're in Christ, nothing should be able to divide us. Do you believe that? We live in a very divisive world. That's a big statement. If, if, you're, if we're in Christ, nothing should be able to divide us. Now Paul knows all about division because Paul lives in the ancient world. And if you think there are fault lines and divisiveness in our culture, you've never seen anything like the Roman world. If you think there are walls and barriers, that, these are Berlin walls in the ancient world that are as that are high as you can imagine. And everybody's got their place and you're not supposed to come out of your place. And everybody's supposed to be reminded of where their place is in the ancient world. But Paul is asking this question, shall we exclude people from us? From being with us? That God includes by His grace. Shall we give God reasons for not wanting to be with people that God Himself wants to be with in heaven one day? Because of the work of His Son. The ancient world was filled with such deep seated divisions. And what we're going to learn here in this one text is really amazing, is a little ancient sociology. In this one text, we learn as much about the culture of the ancient world as any text, one text, that you can read in the entire Bible. Paul mentions four ways that people in that society were divided from one another. And then in the last part of verse 11, he gives the answer, and I'll just give you the the secret key. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together. One of the divisions between people, as Paul puts in our text, was the division along ethnic lines. And this was particularly true of Jews and Gentiles. If you think there's ethnic animosities in our country, you've not seen anything. Jews and Gentiles were raised not only to hate one another, they were raised never to physically touch one another. For a Jew to accidentally brush up to a Gentile meant you had to wash yourself. When Jews would would come out of the Roman Empire and, and make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, the first thing they would do is go to the priest and have this elaborate cleansing of all that those Gentile cooties that they had brought with them. Now they were back in the the right place with the right people. And look, the Gentiles returned these same sentiments toward the Jews. They considered the Jews and their superstitions and their religion to be foolishness. And there was a high fence between these ethnic groups. You know, I grew up in a small town in the deep south, about 8,000 people in my hometown. And it was separated both geographically and ethnically. U.S. Highway 90 went right down the middle of Quincy, Florida. On one side was where most of the people who were Caucasians lived. And on the other side, the south side of that highway, the south side of downtown, was where most of the African Americans lived. The name of the place where the African Americans lived was called Lick Skillet. The name of the place where the white people lived was called Quincy. You can see that this isn't going to turn out well. And there wasn't a lot of interplay between these groups of people. And it wasn't like, you know, I lived in some big city, like there were eight boroughs between me and them. They're there, but both groups are not going to spend any time with one another. People were trying to be polite, but there was a subtle animosity under the surface. And let me tell you, when the Black Panthers came to town and there was a race riot in the late 60s and early 70s, it just was incendiary. It just showed exactly what was underneath there. It's funny, I, I didn't really see a lot of this till I moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, where there aren't those tensions so, so tense underneath. I remember the attitude of many of the finest white citizens who are some of the sweetest people you would ever meet. And I'm sure not trying to criticize the people I'm related to, or the people that helped raise me along with my parents. But as I look back, and, and I, I'm, I'm sure it was not purposeful, but there was a very subtle attitude of superiority that I was raised up in. And when I was 11 years old, my dad made a decision, one of the best decisions he ever made. He decided that I was going to learn what a hard day's work was. He decided I was going to cross the color line and understand who the people were that lived on the other side of town. He announced to me in the the spring of that year, he said, by the way, I've gotten you a job this summer. That's hardly ever a good sign when your parents' kids tell you that. I've gotten you a job this summer. Oh, Dad, well, what am I going to do? You're going to work on a tobacco farm, just like I did when I was young. I said, okay. How long am I going to do this? You have have to get to however you want to look at it. Six weeks. I'll never forget, the first morning, it was about 5 a.m., we woke up. and We drove out there, and um, there were these two distinguished African-American men that my father had grown up with. One of them was named Woodrow, one of the kindest, most gentle men I have ever met in my life. My dad and Woodrow, I, I, I watched them relate, and I went, wow, they really do know each other. And I heard my dad say, Woodrow, this is my son Joseph, Joey, actually. And uh, I'd really appreciate it if you'd watch after him, make sure he's okay, and you know, and, and just would you help out my son? Yes, yeah, I'd love to love to do that. And my dad got in the car and left. When I got home that night, I had never been that dirty in my life. I decided that day I was going to college. That day. My dad's like, done from day one. But that wasn't the only thing he's trying to teach me. I and one other person were the only Caucasians on that entire farm. And he wanted me to see that those people that I never saw were people. And that they counted. And, and I will just tell you, it was culture shock. It was a very interesting six weeks. And um, after my six weeks were put in, I crossed back over the racial line and disappeared from my new friends on the farm for another summer For another whole year until the next summer and that was 1971 can I just stop for a second and say and say something and and politely ask you to consider something I did not come to know Jesus Christ until I was 19 and a half almost 20 I was not raised a skinhead or a neo-nazi I was raised by really sweet people. I had no clue how infested my heart was with racism. It's been one of the things early in my Christian life that I've seen very clearly that is wrong. And I've had to repent of that. And I've had to ask God to help me see what is real and and not just see what is cultural, you see. May I suggest that in Mississippi and the Deep South, and many of you are from other places like that, may I suggest that that would be a good question to ask God, whether you have those same things underneath. Um, Can you imagine how revolutionary the early church was? Take what I just said about African American and white relations in Quincy, Florida, Amp that up about ten times. And then you've got the Jew-Gentile thing. It's unheard of for them not only to touch each other, to worship together. Are you ready for this? To eat together. Remember the Pharisees? He eats with tax collectors and sinners because eating was a sign of intimacy. You didn't in that culture sit down and eat with somebody unless you were willing to say, this is these are or this is my friend. I'm close to the, I want to know this person more. Taking the communion, the common cup together. Jews and Gentiles, ethnicities coming and the lines being torn down, lines being blurred into nothing but gospel. Nothing but acceptance before a holy God and a growing awareness of the need of acceptance right there In Christ's church, an exciting thing, a horribly threatening thing in the ancient world. So the church was able to cross the lines of ethnicity. Here, Paul says, there is no Greek or Jew. You see that in verse 11? There is no Greek or Jew. The second line that divided people in that culture was the line of religion and this is also the next one. Here he says there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. Now we're not just talking about the ethnicity of somebody who's raised a Jewish ethnic person versus a Gentile. Now we're talking about their practice. Now we're talking about circumcision, the dietary laws, being an Orthodox Jew, and all that entails... And how yucky it is to be a Gentile. Now we're talking about people who practice what are called mystery religions. It's complicated. I'll just tell you one thing about mystery religions. Several of the the, the most uh, popular mystery religions at that time had an initiation ritual where basically they they put a like a grate. You'd stand over this grate in a hole they dug, and they they would slay a bull, and all the blood would just drain down, and you'd have to stay in the blood for hours. And then you were initiated into a mystery religion. It's crazy stuff. They're going to be with Jews. Then you got people who are worshiping Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite and, and all these Greek gods. And then you've got more of the pagan, these all, all these other kind of uh, folk religions that basically spirit worship. And and they're all coming out as they hear the gospel. They turn from everything that they called religion. They put their trust in Jesus. They're forgiven of their sins. And now we're one, you see. It is scandalous. It is remarkable, depending on how you look at it. The church founded in the grace of God alone in the early church. Some of the most wonderful worship experiences I have ever had were in the nation of India. And there I was, most of the people, some of them, the Indian pastors, there was 160 Indian pastors in three different places. Um, You sent me there. It was great. Some of them were raised Christian. Very few. Most of them were former Hindus. A few of them were former Muslims. Shh, don't tell anybody about those, okay? But can you imagine if you're worshiping your family God and you get to pick your God in Hinduism and you're, you're just always wondering whether you've done enough to get what you need from that God. And you always live in that sense of, have I done enough? And then there's Allah, the God of Islam, who in the Quran I'm told it never says Allah loves His people. Never. Allah is to be feared. Allah is to be obeyed. The rule of Islam, which means submission, is what it's about and you never quite know, do you? And there's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is finished. God, the three times holy, has sent His Son. You put your trust in Him. You are forgiven. You are ushered into His presence. You're adopted as His own Son. You're set free now to break out of that fear, break out of that timidity, and love with power in the name of Jesus because you have experienced that love. That's what was in that room in India. It was amazing. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, you see. It's a new redeemed community. It's a new countercultural community. And the third division was very sharp cultural barriers in the ancient world. The Greeks, and when I say Greeks, I don't mean people just from Greece. Greeks or Hellenistic people were people who had bought into the philosophy and particularly the language of the Greeks. Alexander the Great, you know, took over the world and his strategy wasn't to get everybody to worship one particular God. He lets you worship whoever you wanted to worship. That's pretty smart, wasn't it? But he controlled the language. If you ever wondered, why is the New Testament written in Greek? It's because Alexander the Great conquered the world and wept that there were no more worlds to conquer, and he made it so. Now, Greek culture was very sophisticated. Greek culture was the culture of philosophy. It was the forward-thinking, kind of open-thinking culture. and, And to be one that spoke that language and to be associated uh, with that was, was an interesting thing. And Jewish people, for instance, were always trying to figure out where the line was, if they become too Greek or not, you see. Well, not everybody spoke Greek in the ancient world. There were these people, just looking at y'all, maybe like some of y'all have European descent, there were these people called barbarians. They were related to to me and to you, they didn't speak Greek. They were uncouth. In fact, they were called barbarians. Some people think they were called barbarians because of their beard. Other people think they're called barbarians because the Greeks, when they got close enough to them, could hear their language and it sounded like bar, bar, bar. And that's the reason they called them barbarians. In the church, we got Greeks and we got bar, bar, bar sitting right next to them on the pew putting an arm around You know, me and you, Bar-Bar-Bar, we're going to hang together. This is great. Let me tell you. He says, there is no barbarian. Look at the text. This is the worst one. Or Scythian. You're probably thinking, what in the world is Scythian? I can't wait to tell you. See, all barbarians were not savages. In fact, they became Christianized. Europe became Christian. The barbarians, etc., you know, Europeans. Barbarians, however, were not all savages, but Scythians were. Scythians were the, the lowest people among the barbarians. Um, barbarians trash talk Scythians, okay? <laughs> I mean, I can't help to think about the, like, the Capital One commercial with the Vikings, you know. <laughs> What's in your wallet? Like, oh, those people are awful. Well, the Scythians are the worst. I mean, barbarians are trash-talking Scythians. Greek speakers are trash-talking the, the barbarians. The Jews are gr- trash-talking the Greeks. Do you see all these cultural lines that are going on? Um, the Scythians, I want to read to you a little bit about the Scythians. One scholar says, Scythians were a nomadic people who were very violent. They would thunder down out of nowhere, raid towns, freely killing people. They drank the blood of their first enemy killed in every battle. Isn't that beautiful? They were known to have filthy habits and to never wash their bodies with water. When a Scythian sat next to you in church, you knew it. They were disgusting. I'm still reading. They were disgusting and detested. Paul is saying, in Christ, We need to put a sign outside the church that says this. We take Scythians. We take Scythians. When you have a sign out there that says we take Scythians, that means we take them all. All the way back to the people who are trash talking everybody that finally gets down to the Scythians. We take Scythians. Let me ask you a question. Do you? See, that's where we need to go with this. Do you take Scythians? So not only was the ancient world divided by ethnicity, there's no Jew or Greek, religion, circumcised, uncircumcised, and culture, uh, the Greek, the barbarians, and the Scythians, but finally, it was also divided by social class. And I want you to know, the ancient world was not America. It was not known for upward mobility. You know how parents can take their child aside in the United States and say, you know, if you study hard... And if you really apply yourself, you could be President of the United States. Well, first of all, that's not true, but theoretically it's true. I mean, most of our kids aren't smart enough to be President of the United States, but, um, but we can say it anyway because there is upward mobility in our culture. Uh-uh. There are a few Romans you can track that kind of made it up through. You stayed where you were. Those lines were fixed, and a part of your life was to reinforce who you weren't. As well as who you were, and if you didn't stay there, people would put you in your place. It was an amazing thing in the early church that rich and poor were together. But not only that, look at the text. you see that other word, rich and poor? Look, look at eleven. Slaves. Ah, oh! ah! Oh! They got slaves in there. They're drinking the cup after one another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you need to understand the slavery at that time were, was a volu- either a voluntary slavery of someone who sold themselves into slavery. Sometimes it came through conquest of, of, of like armies and, and that type of thing. But the philosopher Aristotle, just so you'll know how low, when someone became a slave willingly, they knew they were kind of pressing themselves into an underclass. For quite some time. They knew that they were bringing. They might be lessening the, the financial burden on themselves. Paying off a debt or whatever. But they were about to bring enormous social pressures on themselves. The philosopher Aristotle declared that slaves were very useful. That they were nothing more than living tools to be used. Kind of like a screwdriver or a hammer. He said this is better. You've got, you got a screwdriver that can actually do the, the twisting." You see. Point being, you didn't hang out with slaves. Unless you're in the church. Unless you're in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if the practice of your faith is built primarily around the acceptance of a social class, Paul wants you to know something you're pathetic. Have a nice day. It's sad because God didn't die for us to exclude everybody that's not just like us, you see. There is neither slave nor free This is revolutionary. In fact, the book of Philemon, are you all aware the book of Philemon is all about this? Onesimus is a slave that belonged to Philemon. Onesimus has run away and Paul is writing Philemon, the owner of this slave, and he's saying, look, this man, Onesimus, has become so useful to me. Paul wants Onesimus to become one of those people like Silas that travels with him and ministers with him. So gifted is this man, Onesimus, And Paul writes in Philemon 1 and 15, perhaps the reason, Paul says to Philemon, the slave owner, perhaps the reason he was separated from you, the real reason, he's saying, for a little while, is that you might have him back for good, but no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. You see that? As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, And he's even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. You never read stuff like that in the ancient world. You never have all this stuff shoved in together. It's amazing, it's remarkable. F.F. Bruce says, Outside the Christian fellowship, those barriers stood as high as ever, but within the community of the new creation, those barriers were irrelevant. You see, the church is to be different. In a world of exclusion, they became as inclusive as God's grace itself. In a world of separation... They chose together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jews, Gentiles, barbarians, even Scythians, rich, poor, slaves. Now, I want you to look at verse 11 and see how Paul brings all this together as we close. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Hear these words, but Christ is all and all in all. Translated, if you remember Colossians 1, Christ is the one who holds everything together. Christ is all. Christ is supreme. Christ is the one who has given grace. Here it is. Christ is who I worship and Christ is all that matters. And if Christ decides to give grace to you, then I must give love and grace to you as well. That's what it's about. Is Christ all supreme? And is Christ all in all? That's the question for the church today. Christ is the great... The Gospel is the great principle of unity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Can you imagine... In a world that is divided, can you imagine a world, rather, divided by ethnicity, religion, culture, and social class? Yes, you can. All you got to do is go out those doors right there, and you will be in that world. Now, I'm not saying it is torqued up as much as the ancient world, not trying to say that, but that is our world, that is our nation, that is our city. And the most important question is this. Can you imagine a church or even groups of churches of ethnicity and sometimes those organized around language and other things accepting one another and cooperating with one another to accomplish the kingdom of God in Christ? Y'all, we must be a part of that. We must be. We are called by the gospel itself to be a part of that. Now, This text does not indicate that all those ethnicities and all those groups were in the church at Colossae. But it does indicate that in Paul's experience in the Roman world and the establishment of churches that all those groups and all those people were in churches and that this church must welcome them all. All. In case you didn't know, Or if you're visiting today, you need to know something about Highlands. We take Scythians. We take them all. We don't care where you've come from. We don't care what has happened in your life. We don't care who you're related to. We don't care what section of the country you're from. We don't care how much liquid cash you have. We don't care how much cachet you have. We'd like to love you for you. We take them all. You know what's proof of that? You're here. Remember when I prayed? I said, Lord, why would you, why would you receive me? Why would you save me? Colossians 1 talks about me and it talks about you. Please understand this is that we have the wrong divisions. Here's the division God has. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God has reconciled you in the body of Jesus Christ. Once you were an enemy of God, once you were out, and only because of God's grace have you been brought in. And one of the things that I have loved about this church from the first day until now, one of the reasons we want to be here with you and all of you who have come have embraced this kind of vibe, this kind of theme. is I've never met a group of people, and I haven't met all the groups, as open, as welcoming, and as accepting as this group of people. We take Scythians. Every ethnicity, of course, is not represented here. They are all welcomed here. I don't know of a church in town where every ethnicity is represented. People from all social strata are welcomed here. If you have Christ, you are our brother and our sister. And we celebrate that mutual faith and love. And we consider our connection with other congregations of ethnicity to be very important. And we have connections with churches in different areas of town and different ethnicities. We consider those connections as equal partners in the ministry of the gospel. You see, the gospel breaks down barriers, tears down walls because God, simply put, includes people that His people don't. Did y'all get that? God includes people that His people don't. And that's a problem. And here's my challenge for you. You're like, you ain't not challenged me yet? Here's my challenge for you. One of two things needs to happen in light of this text. Either God's got to get with the program and understand the Deep South and change. Or we've got to repent of our private attitudes that lead to acting out in division. It all starts in the heart, doesn't it? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, and as we look into this amazing new society, this countercultural group of people in Colossae, and that challenge the pride and the ugliness of the ancient world, will we be willing? to challenge the pride and the ugliness of our own culture for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ and his free grace for even us. Here is my question for you. In your heart, go back to my original thought about poor Timothy. Somebody asked me, Did he, is he like forever damaged? Have you gotten in touch with him? <laughs> Timothy, if you're on the internet listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I really am. Um, In your heart, ask God this this afternoon. Are you an excluder where God is not? Or are you an includer according to God's grace? Here, there is no Greek or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, Scythian. There is no slave or free. But Christ is all and all in all.